You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Rider. I am Damon Martin. He is UFC legend Matt Brown. Matt, it is the start of a new week. It is UFC 295 Fight Week. Are you excited? Are you excited for Fight Week? Is it still exciting? No, always excited for Fight Week. Well, I don't know. I don't really get excited till the day of the fight, I guess, or the night <laughs> of the fight. Now, yeah. uh, hey, man, it's a good week, bro. We got the clock set back an hour, got an extra hour of sleep. We get uh, huge badass fights this weekend. Had I guess you know we had at least a card to watch last weekend. Not, <laughs> sort nothing. Of. Sort yeah, of. We, we got to watch the classic lay and pray. You know, it's been so long since I used that term, and it's so funny you say that. It's been so long since I've used that term in MMA because that just doesn't really happen as much these right. days. And Giles and Almeida, what he did to Derek Lewis was classic lay and pray. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to knock him for winning, dude. Like, you get the job done, you won. He absolutely did win the fight. But it was also one of the most bizarre, like, it's. I, I think I called it, like, the most bizarre dominant performance ever. Because, like, yeah. he, he took him down at will. He moved into Mount, like, nine times. And yet he didn't really do much damage. And, like, after the second round, he stopped going for submissions. It was the weirdest. Like, he was completely dominant, but yet he didn't really do a lot with it. It was the weirdest performance. Yeah, it was almost like... Uh you know the the when we think of lay and pray we think of like take him down and sit and guard <laughs> right like he yeah. was even able to get to mount and like Derek lewis grabbing his wrist stopped him from being able to punch or elbow or anything I'm, uh, yeah it was a, it was actually bizarre that's a good way to put it because but boy i i think we've seen jalton almeida is going to be a problem though uh, now, whether he's going to be an exciting problem, whether he puts on the fights to get that where Dana gets excited and says, we're going to put you in there for the title shot or even like a surreal gone fight like he's calling out, which everybody seems to be calling out now because they know they can take him down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen, but, you know, that that guy has a lot. Of, the weirdest thing was I'd never heard this, but they said he grew up boxing. 
Yeah, like he's he's no like he he came in and had that striking background and and obviously like he also has the jujitsu background. But yeah, it's weird. Like he, I, he he always seemed like a well rounded fighter. And listen, I don't blame you for not wanting to go out there and stand in front of Derek Lewis. Like I get it, yeah. but it, but to me it was just weird because you keep taking him down and you're not doing much with it. Like he was just in like it's almost like. He didn't want to take chances because he knew Derek could escape and get back to his feet, which he did a couple of times. Credit to Derek for doing it. But, like, when you're in mounts, like, that's supposed to be one of the most dominant positions you can have on the ground. And yet he wasn't really dropping punches or elbows. Like, it was really weird. Right. Um, it's right. almost I like mean, I mean, I, there's there's two dominant, like, a thousand percent dominant positions in a fight, and that's back and mount. And he had both. He had both. Yeah, he had the back yeah. for a while, too. Yeah. It's a weird one. Like I said, like, listen, again, you got the win. That's what matters most. But you and I both know in the UFC's eyes, style points count. And I was yeah, like, yeah. I was like, uh, for having that dominant of a position for that long, like you spent, I think they said like 21 minutes in that controlling position and you didn't get a finish. And you didn't really do a ton of damage. I was like, it's weird to say this, but it's almost like his stock dropped with a win you know what mm-hmm. i mean like if he had gone mm-hmm. out because Derek lewis was a replacement he was supposed to fight curtis blades if he had mm-hmm. gone out there and done that to curtis blades even though curtis you know obviously coming off the loss to sergey pavlovich that would say a lot because curtis is such an incredible wrestler i don't know that you could do that to curtis blades but you go out there and do that to Derek lewis okay still impressive but then you have him mounted for 21 minutes or whatever and you don't get a finish and you don't do it like you know how it works matt like when you're in mount and you're just raining down punches Unless the guy does a good job of hipping out, escaping, or rolling, whatever, like, referees will stop the fight. Like, if you're just bludgeoning him and he's just laying there covering up, like, it may not be, like, the most emphatic stoppage, but the referee will generally step in. If you're just laying there getting punched, you know what I mean? He didn't really do... So, weirdly, like, he won, he got the main event, he beat Derek Lewis, but, like, weirdly, I'm like, man, like, I I don't feel like he really... I don't feel like he really raised the bar with that fight. No, that's a good call. That's one of the interesting things about with the the rules, right? They because I've I've been uh, I had one fight in particular. They stopped when I wasn't really that hurt, and you know when I thought about it later, you know I was really pissed at the time, and I thought about it later, and I've seen this applied to other fights. You know, the rule is intelligent defense. It's yeah. not necessarily whether you're rocked or not, or whether you're hurt. It's whether you're intelligently defending, and. You know, he, so my point is, you know, I made a again, don't want to knock the guy at all. Like, I mean, it's amazing what he did, period, right? And he played a perfect strategy to get the win and and do what he needs to do. Um, but to your point, like, you don't have to rock him with those punches. Like, just throw punches. Yeah. Like, like you're in mount. Like, he's not getting out. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, it was clear. Like, he's not getting out of your mount, right? He didn't have like any hip escapes. He didn't have any, you know, push on the knees or the hips or, you know, like there wasn't any like technique there. It was like, you know, Derek Luce is going to try to stand up with power and he wasn't able to do that. So just throw punches, but yeah, who am I to say, who are we to say standing outside? Well, it's also like he called out Cyril gone afterwards. And I'm like, you call out Cyril gone, the guy who notoriously has, bad grappling you know the guy who got you know taken down and, yeah. and grounded by francis agano and then got choked out by john jones inside of two minutes or whatever it was um 
I was like, rebook the Curtis Blades fight because Curtis Blades is an incredible wrestler. If you can do that to Curtis yeah. Blades, I'll be super impressed. I don't think you can do that to Curtis Blades, so you're going to have to show other facets of your game. Not saying he can't win. He could absolutely win that fight, but you're probably not going to just win it by taking him down and controlling a guy like Curtis Blades, who is probably the best wrestler in the heavyweight division. Um because yeah, in a perfect because in a perfect world you go out there and you demolish Derek Lewis, then you can say, Hey, Tom Aspinall, Sergey Pavovich, I'm coming. Like whoever wins this fight, I'm coming, because you know you're not getting John Jones Stepe. I'm coming for you. You make that kind of a statement going into this weekend. Everyone's got Gilton Almeida on the mindset, oh man, like Sergey and Tom are the guys, but look at this Brazilian monster. Instead, mm. here we are on Monday talking about, eh, you know, <laughs> he yeah. won. Yeah, he won, <laughs> but you know. Yeah, that's a great point because, like you said, it's almost bizarre, like how dominant he was and how little uh, we were impressed, right? <laughs> but if, and to your point, look, if he could do that to Derek Lewis, that's, I mean, if he could do that to Curtis Blades, rather, um, yeah, that is very impressive. And like we talk about all the time, styles make fights. Like we know what Derek Lewis is, we know what Jalton Almeida is, we know what Curtis Blades is. And Derek's stock almost doesn't drop from that fight, right? Like, yeah. Like it's it like nothing really changed other than than we know that that Jalton Almeida can out wrestle Derek Lewis. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's really what we learned. And I'm like, all right, well, I probably kind of knew that going into it. So yeah, just it was just a weird. Like I said, it's it's weird to critic to, to critique a guy who won like fifty forty five across the board, but yet like coming out of it, I feel like his stock dropped a little bit, like because he had a lot of hype going into it where people are saying, man, like the three horse race for like the best prospect at heavyweight was Pavlovich, Aspinall and Jalton Almeida in terms of like the newer guys. And while I still think Jalton Almeida is really good, we're not necessarily putting him in that same conversation as the two guys right. fighting for the title this weekend. Like now Aspinall and Pavlovich really does feel like the true, you know, interim title fight and Gileton mm -hmm. still feels like he's at least one fight away. Like he's got to be to Cyril gone. He's got to be to Curtis blades. Like if he had gone out there and demolished Derek Lewis, I'm not saying it would have put him like right there, but at least he would be in the conversation. It doesn't feel like he's really in that conversation today. Yeah. And he almost did too. And it's one of those fights where, you know, you know, I hate, I almost hate saying things like, you know, if it were, uh, you know, no rules or whatever, you yeah. know what I mean? I hate making this dash because it's a sport and we have the rules and that's what it is, right? Uh, but if it would have been one of those fights with no time round, no time limit and just went, um, you know, uh, uh, until a finish, you got a hard time believing that Derek Lewis doesn't eventually catch one of those uppercuts. <laughs> yeah. Right? He came right? close a he couple was getting times. closer every round, yeah. it felt like. Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, like I said, man, it is what it is. I mean, he got the win and, you know, um, but like I said, I don't think he got the statement he could have made with like a really yeah. big finish. You know what I mean? Cause again, Derek, and I like, and let me be clear about this. I like Derek Lewis. Like he's a good, but he, Derek Lewis, like, I think we've proven who Derek Lewis is. Like we know who Derek Lewis is. Like he's not, he can still surprise us a little bit. Like when he throw a flying knee, like he did in his last fight. But you know, typically speaking, Derek Lewis at 38 or 39, like he's kind of towards the la latter part of his career. He's no longer a top you know, five heavyweight. He had that brief moment where he kind of jumped up there. Like, we know who Derek Lewis is, right? Like, this fight was to show us who Gilton Almeida was. And, 
you know, he he did. And and but no, I don't think yeah. that's I don't think that's the way he wanted to do it. You know what I mean? Like, exactly, I don't think that's yeah. uh, he came out of it. And we're all kind of like, yeah, Jalton Almeida, way to go. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, fair enough. Hopefully, we get some more exciting fights next weekend, right? Yeah, well, I, listen, which I think you, we will. You've been you've been super high on the Sergey Pavlovich train for quite a while. But before I talk about that fight, because I know it, it's really crappy timing, because when we had the legend Mark Coleman on the show, we did a lot of talk about Stepe and John Jones because he was in Cleveland helping Stepe get ready, and we were all very excited. Then, like days later. You know, the fight falls apart with uh, Jones suffering an injury. I'm curious, like, it's weird because I, I interviewed, I had to interview, it'll drop this week with Daniel Cormier. We were previewing UFC 295, and, you know, he had said something to me, and I get it. He's like, we were talking about Jones Stipe, and he said, you know, that's kind of like a fight that's bigger than the title in a way because both guys are so, you know, well-known, and it's such a, like, a you know, it's one of those, like, monumental super fights that we just want to see. But he's like, I, I think Pavlovich and Aspinall might be more competitive because he's like, listen, I love Stipe, but, you know, at 41, like, where is Stipe at? And by the time they fight next year, he's going to be 42. And one thing DC said to me that is absolutely a factor, he said, I remember what it was like for me at 41 training to fight Stipe Miocic. And he's like, I knew there was a difference. Like, I knew my body was not reacting the same way. It's harder to get up in the morning, like little things like that. And and he's like, Jones is still in the prime of his career. He's like, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to get out of Stipe in that fight. And I was like, you're not wrong. Like, when you think about it, like, and Stipe, by the time Stipe comes back next year, he's going to have been out for three years. Like, that's a long yeah. time at that age. You know what I mean? Like, at that age, to be out, like, he, when he last fought, he was 39, and he's going to come back at 42. Like, that's a long time. So, I don't know, like... This was, like, did the card take a hit losing Jones Stipe? Absolutely. Like, that was a monster fight. Like, there's no way as many people are going to buy pay-per-views to watch Yuri and Alex Pereira and Sergey and Tom Aspinall as they would have bought for Stipe and, Mia, Stipe and Jones. Like, that would have been one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year. It's no longer that. But in terms of competitiveness, I don't disagree with, with, with DC when he talks about this being, on paper, a better fight. Like, in terms of, like, because... Pavlovich has been a monster, six straight first round knockouts. Aspinall six and one in the UFC, uh, same same record as Sergey. A lot of he's only had one fight go to the second round, so this is a really intriguing fight. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I don't know why the. Uh, I think when you talk about competitiveness, I mean, I don't know if Stipe John Jones would have been competitive one way or another. I don't know if this one would be competitive one way or another because this is fucking MMA, bro, and we get what we never expect to get. So we, I don't, I don't want, want to make that prediction, but the on paper. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a just a great fight all around. And um, I think it's un, very understandable why the UFC is doing it the way they're doing it. I don't think it's a bad call. I think it's a, just an amazing fight and it should be for the interim title, the way they're doing it. So uh, I love this fight. In a way, like I said, I've said this to some other people, I think introducing the, the interim title in this particular instance is I think it is to help sell pay-per-views a little bit because you lost the title fight, you had a title fight. But let's be honest, Matt, and I know we've had this conversation a little bit before. When John Jones finally fights Stipe Miocic next year, and let's just say it happens at International Fight Week in, in 2024, there's a really good chance the winner and the loser in that fight retire. Like, yeah. there's a really good chance that that's just a retirement fight for both guys. Because for Joe, like, I think there's a better chance of Jones sticking around because if Jones wins, he might think, well, you know, maybe I'll stick around and defend the belt a couple of times and break the record. But even that, I would say, is like lower on the scale of possibilities. 
I would, I mean, I know Stipe has not come out and said it publicly and everything he's talked about is we'll see, we'll see. I think that's it. Like, what would, if Stipe beats John Jones, what is he coming back for? Like, what are you going to yeah, do at that point? Like, what, come back for? Yeah. yeah, so in a weird way, like this fight at 295 is kind of crowning just a new heavyweight champion. Like, they're going to be called interim champion, but like the chances that Pavlovich or Aspinall ever get to fight Jones or Miocic is in my opinion, slim to none. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely lower. I, I didn't really think about it that way. I think that's true. I had kind of taken this as giving them the interim title as a way to introduce these guys to the world. Like, I mean, we all, we all as casual or hardcore fans, we all know who Aspinall and Pavlovich are, but the regular fan maybe heard their name in passing or something. Right. Like they're, they're not, you know, gigantic names like Jones and Miocic. So that's the way I took it was like they're they're showing the world. This is who these guys are. Um, this is, you know, they got the belt. And when they put it out there to everyone, then it makes the if Jones or Miocic doesn't retire, makes that fight even bigger. Yeah, I just have a hard time believing it will happen. You know what I mean? Like, again, I think Jones, there's a possibility with Stipe, with I don't you. think I don't think there's any. I think Stipe has one fight left, and it's John Jones, and I think that's pretty. Yeah, it much doesn't it. make any sense for Stipe to do more if he beats Jones, right? Like, what 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 sense does he even make for him? I think he's set for life. I mean, he's he's older. Like the only reason you got to think probably the only reason he's even fighting Jones is just for the legacy fight, right? Like he's not coming back to prove anything. I don't think he's out there. Like I don't, I don't think his motivation was to come back for a title. Like it's John freaking Jones. And rightly so. Like, you know, that's what I said. Like, yeah. what would, like, unless they saw, unless Francis came back in the fold, which we all know is not going to happen, but because obviously they split a pair of fights and I know Stipe wanted to come back and fight Francis to get that trilogy settled. You know what I mean? Kind of like what happened with DC with the Cormier thing. That's not available. So Nganu's out of the picture. Okay. You fight John Jones, the greatest of all time why would you come back after that? Like, and that's as me as a steep A, you and I are both steep A guys here in Ohio. Like what would, what, what, what purpose would it serve to for you to come back? And if you beat John Jones, like, you know, like I'll tell you what, I would love to see him come back and, and run this division, you know, like it'd be pretty badass if he came back and beat Jones and then beat, Aspinall and Pavlovich, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to cheer for Stipe all around all the time, everything he does, man. So I think he'd be badass. Hard to see him doing that. Like, these are young, hungry guys. And, uh, you know, that that championship grind is a is another level, man. That's some work that, that we don't understand. So, yeah. But also, I mean, listen, you know, Stipe's put in a lot of work. He's accomplished a lot of things. And at some point, um, you know, I mean, listen, everyone knows that, you know, time runs out for everybody. And, and if he goes out and he can actually beat John Jones, that's the biggest win ever. Like you just beat the unbeatable. You just stopped the unstoppable. Why would you, <laughs> cause I'm not saying he would taint his legacy if he came back and got knocked out by Pavlovich, but like talk about like the, the, the emotional letdown of that to go out and beat John Jones. And then six months later, you got to get up and fight this young, hungry Russian or this, you know, mauling Brit this mauling Brit who is just like you know waiting for a chance to be the legend uh I like I said personally I think Stipe's done if Stipe fights John Jones next year win or lose I think that's the last time we see Stipe Miocic in the UFC well, that's not have to interview Stipe and ask him huh he'll never tell us I know Stipe well <laughs> enough he'll play he'll play coy right up until the until the day he retires but uh 
And I just, it, and like I said, but that's also why I think this interim title is better because Jones and Stipe are so big that while there's going to be a title on the line, let's be honest, that fight's about John Jones fighting Stipe Miocic. Like that's yes. the, that's the magnitude of that fight. Does having a title matter? Sure. It's fun. It adds a little extra oomph to the fight, but does it really matter when it's Joe? It's like if we would have seen GSP fight Anderson Silva back in the day, did we really care that much about titles being online or because we right. were going to see George St. Pierre fight Anderson Silva? Same thing here. Like this is, and so like introducing the interim title here is perfect because, you know, they don't fight till July. At least you keep the division moving because the way this is playing out, like, well, I, I generally don't like interim titles. Like, I w- in the long run, like we're going to talk about in a second, but like we got Yuri Prohoshka fighting Alex Pereira for a vacant title because the light heavyweight title just keeps getting tossed out, won and lost. Like guys keep getting injured, and like this division has gone through so much like craziness. I, I talked to Jamal Hill, and I was like, "Is there any part of you that like wishes you had just held on to the title and did an interim title?" And and he understood because Yuri got injured, and he gave up the title, so he kind of did the same thing. But like, even when Yuri got injured with the shoulder injury, it's like, why didn't they just let him keep the belt and then you introduce the interim title for Jamal Hill right. and Glover? Yeah, I, I don't, it just, I don't know. Like, I don't typically like interim titles, but this is a scenario with this one, the heavyweight title fight, where it actually makes sense. And I think it actually would have made sense for light heavyweight as well. Yeah, I don't think anyone likes interim titles, right? <laughs> but it's just, there's a time and a place for it. And I think sometimes we start questioning whether it's kind of tossed out there a little bit too often, you know, like, like sometimes you're like, is that interim title really necessary? <laughs> you know, yeah. is that really a, a title there? Yeah, that's true. So what do you think? Aspinall or Pavlovich? How do you see, how do you see this one going down? I, 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 I know you're a big Sergey guy. You've been banging that drum for a long time. You were on the Sergey train even before I was. Uh, so I'm kind of curious, like, and also to his credit, Sergey was preparing as the backup. He was training to be the backup for Stipe and Jones. Um, so he was already going through a training camp. Aspinall wasn't, I've heard Aspinall was training. Like he's not a guy who leaves the gym, but you know, Matt, I know we've had this discussion not to beat a dead horse here. You train in your gym every single day, but the way you train right now is not the way you train for a fight. Uh, when you're actually gearing up for a fight. So yes, I've heard Aspinall was training, but he wasn't training for November 11th to fight Sergey Pavlovich. So I don't know. Like, how do you feel about this one? Boy, I mean, this is definitely a close one, man. Um, but I'm, I lean towards Sergey um, mainly because of the power. Like, I think he's, he's just such a sturdy, strong, durable, uh, powerful guy. Um, but man, you know, I'm not sure you know, how much bigger Aspinall is going to be than him, like, like taller or lengthwise. And I think he's going to uh, outsize him in that aspect some. And I think that could play a big part. And if Aspinall uses that properly and, uh, you know, uses his jab or his length or whatever out there properly, I think that could go a long way. But I'm not sure how much he's going to outsize him in that regard. Yeah, I think I, I'm going with Sergey as well. I just think the power and the preparation are the difference here. Like, he's got that nasty power, but he's also been training for this. Like, he's been training for the potential of going five rounds with John Jones. He's been training for the potential of going five rounds with Stephen Miocic. He's actually gone through a training camp, and this kind of goes back to what happened to UFC 294. As much as we want to talk up Alexander Volkanovsky and Kamara Usman for stepping in, 
they were still stepping in at a massive disadvantage. Like they were still stepping yeah. in against guys who were going through a full training camp and preparing for that particular date. Uh, whereas they were coming off the couch. Like that was the joke going into fight week. They're coming off the couch. Well, Aspinall's not necessarily coming off the couch, but we got to remember he still took this fight on basically whatever it was like two or three weeks notice. It's certainly not ideal. Um, the good, the good side about that is, is they're heavyweights. And typically speaking, a lot of heavyweight fights end in the first or second round. You should probably have enough cardio to go that deep, but I'm a believer in Sergey Pavlovich. I think his power's real. Uh, another thing DC said, he's like, this is the, this is the most powerful puncher we've seen since Francis. And I would mm-hmm. agree the way he just puts people out is just nasty. And he only needs one. He needs one to slip through, and he'll put you out. And so I think Sergey gets it done. I think he probably gets a knockout. And then maybe we see this rematch like a couple years down the road, and hopefully Aspinall will have more time to prepare. Aspinall's a monster. Make no mistake about it. But yeah. I just I just think Sergey right now, like I just I have a lot of confidence. I think that Curtis Blades fight really woke me up to how good he was. And it's not to me. It's not just his power. I mean, he's obviously a big, powerful guy, but he's very accurate with his punches. And that goes, especially with those four ounce gloves, it goes just as far as power. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to, like, I'm not a huge power guy, but I got the second most knockouts in the UFC, you know, like I'm not explosive like a Michael Chandler or anything, but um, you know, it's that accuracy, man. Connor talked about it, you know, kind of famously. So that's the one thing with Sergey that I seen, I think it was the tie to Vasa fight that really, me when I just seen how accurate his punches were and I was like damn like that's going to be a problem to deal with um but how he deals again I have to see the stats to see exactly how much reach um Aspinall is going to have on him um and it may be a, a small amount but there may not even be much at all like uh even if Sergey has more reach you know I think that how that uh reach distance is kind of determined is going to de- determine the fight yeah, it's interesting because, like I said, there's a lot to be said about, um, you know, obviously styles being matchups. Let's see here. Let me let me look. I'm pulling up some stats here right now. Let's see. Uh, where are we at? Pereira. Where is the Aspinall? There we go. Pavlovich Aspinall. Let's see here. Um, Pavlovich is uh, six foot three. Uh, Aspinall is six foot five. Uh, reach is actually here's an interesting stat. Sergey Pavlovich, 84-inch reach. Tom Aspinall, 78-inch reach. He's got a six-inch reach advantage on Tom Aspinall. Yeah, so that, that's kind of what I was getting. I knew Aspinall was taller, but I wasn't sure how the reach would play out. And those stats also can be deceiving, too. You know, So it depends on – and that's kind of what I was getting at there. It's going to depend a lot on who actually uses their reach better, I think. Yeah. You know, who's able to kind of start uh, gauging that distance and – um, infiltrating the distance a little bit better, you know, whether that's through a jab or through, you know, combinations. Um, Sergey seems to me like he does his best work when he's able to start getting combos going, right? When he's able to start um, applying some pressure and getting you at the end of his punches. So I think that that's going to be the big part. And I, that doesn't mean that Aspinall, even if he's got the shorter reach, especially being the taller man, it doesn't mean he can't out jab him, right? And maintain and control that distance. And, you know, even if I got the shorter reach and I'm Aspinall, uh, that's the game that I'm going to start working towards first. I, you know, start whether you could use teep kicks or, you know, whatever, but start winning that range battle and forcing Sergey to try to come in 
Um, so to me, it's a matter of whether Sergey is able to breach at distance, start landing his uh, big shots. Because like you said, it's not going to take very many from him. Here's the one thing I'll say, and I know people are going to be like, dude, you're a hater. I'm not a hater because I've spent the last two weeks on this show praising Francis Ngannou left down and center in terms of his performance. But when you watch Francis in the UFC, at least in, in a lot of his fights, he, he did rely solely on power. It wasn't necessarily the best technique in the world because he just was so – like when you watch him knock out Jerzinho Rosenstrike, he's literally just swinging for the fences and he just knocks <laughs> yeah, him in the yeah. middle next week. Now, he, he uh, we, uh, we know from his fight with Tyson Fury and his win over Stipe that he does have good boxing when he controls himself, and I think that was a product – of fighting a guy like Stipe, who also has good boxing. He knew he couldn't just go in there and overwhelm Stipe with just throwing big looping punches. Where I like what Sergey does, what you mentioned, is he's very he's got a good jab. Like, he's got a good, accurate jab that sets up his other punches. I would argue that Sergey is on equal footing in terms of danger of what he presents with Francis, like when he was in the UFC in terms of power. The difference that I give Sergey credit for earlier is, as you said, the accuracy. He does set up a jab, which is something Francis didn't really do a lot in his UFC mm-hmm. fights. Now, Francis was clearly a more accomplished fighter by this point, and I think that Stipe fight was really the one that showed how amazing he could be on the feet. But he was still like he would still use a lot of fights just overwhelming people with power. He didn't necessarily go in there thinking, I'm going to set up my jab, I'm going you know, you know, to out-technique him and then knock him out. He would just kind of be like, oh, this guy can't take my power. I'm just going to knock the piss out of him. Uh, mm-hmm. Sergey does. Sergey actually said, like, that, that Blaze fight, man, he popped, he popped him with several hard shots from a distance and didn't just explode forward and go crazy. Like, he set up things, stuff to take down, and then went out and knocked him out. And I think that's yep. super impressive with Sergey. Yep, and that and that's why I said that's going to be the the telltale sign of who wins this fight, and that's going to be uh, the 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 deal breaker who wins this fight. I think because I think Aspinall again being the taller guy, you know, those reach stats they can be very deceiving. You know, like um, I had a friend back in the day who was about a five foot seven wrestler, but he had the same reach that I did, but it's because his lats were absolutely massive. <laughs> I take it back. His wingspan was the same. So when they measure like knuckle to knuckle, like it was about the same as mine. It was a little bit less, but pretty comparable. And because, I mean, his lats and shoulders were absolutely massive, yeah. you know, which was great for wrestling too. Right. So now uh, those, those stats can be very deceiving. Um, but that's why I said, whoever is able to set that range well, because Aspinall, I don't, think that Aspinall can sit in the pocket and trade with uh, Sergey, and I think that's where he could potentially run into trouble. I think he has a lot of ways to win this fight, but I think that's where the trouble would be for him. So setting that range is going to just be huge for him, and that's why I lean towards Sergey because I, I just don't think – I think Sergey will be able to deal with that uh, range well enough, and now that you're putting out the reach stats, it kind of convinces me even more he'll be able to find a way to get around it. Yeah, Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place 
to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. In the co-main event, of course, we got Yuri Prohoshka against Alex Pereira, and every single person I've talked to about this fight has pretty much the same opinion, which is um, Yuri takes a lot of chances and takes a lot of risks, which is dangerous against a guy like Alex Pereira. But the downside of this is, is we're still, in a lot of ways, figuring out who Alex Pereira is. Even 10 fights into his career and six fights in the UFC or whatever it's been, like we're still trying to kind of figure out who this guy is because he's such an incredible, incredible, um, incredible kickboxer. But you know, he is he really developed as a ground fighter? But then the flip side is is that Yuri likes to take Yuri has not gone through a single fight in his UFC career, UFC career where he hasn't gotten rocked a little bit on the feet. Like he did it against Dominic Reyes, he did it against Vulcan Ozdemir, uh, he did it against Glover Teixeira. Uh, he's just a guy who's willing to take chances. Like he'll, he's like, I'll take your best punch and I'll give you my best punch. And I'm guaranteeing my best punch is better. That's kind of like the Yuri philosophy. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a dangerous game to play with, with Alex Pereira. But at the same time, you know, one takedown from Yuri could end the fight. Like that's how it could end up. So I'm like, I'm kind of torn on this one. Like my gut says Yuri Prohoshka. uh, he's the better, more rounded, well-rounded fighter. And I think he has more ways to win, but I just, I don't know, man. Like when you're when you're that nasty of a kickboxer, it does only take one from Alex Pereira, and he'll put your lights out. Yeah, and you're also you're talking about one of the wildest, strangest uh, fighters in Yuri Parashka that we've ever seen. Right, he throws some of the most insane techniques we've ever seen. I mean, he's just a you very unique guy all around, right? And when he fights, it's always a very unique fight, right? Against a, uh, a guy that we haven't seen a lot in MMA, right? We don't even, like you said, we don't even really know who Alex Pereira is all, all, the way, all the way around in MMA. We know who he is as a kickboxer, and we know he, he can do a lot of that in MMA. But, the, yeah, this is a real, like, wild card fight, you know? And, and it's good. I think it's a very, very difficult fight to pick. I'd, I'd be curious what the odds are in this fight. Um Yuri's, Yuri's, Yuri's probably Yuri's favorite, but it's very small. It's not a big yeah, favor. Yeah, I was just yeah. saying it's probably it's got to be close to even. I got to think. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe with Yuri a slight favorite, but yeah, and, and that's probably because like he throws those wild techniques, and 
you know, when you ain't used to seeing that stuff or, or you're not used to, uh, you know, sparring with guys like that, which you can't, you know, how do you train for Yuri Proshka? <sighs> right. Like who do you bring in to do that? You don't, you can't find someone. So you're going to see things in the octagon that you've probably never seen before in your life. And if those things take you off, um, you know, especially like when you're trying to like time someone and you're finding um, that, that certain rhythm that they're bringing to you and, and you're like, okay, I got it. And then he throws something just completely out of the ordinary. Yeah. You know, it can really throw you off a lot, especially yeah. when you, you've sparred guys for years or fought guys for years that fell for that trap. Yeah. You know, those, uh, those giant blow up doll things they put outside like car dealerships, like they have the things where they have like the waving arms, you know what I'm talking about? Like the big, Oh yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that's what Yuri Prohoshka is. Like you can't really see, he just kind of goes up and throws things and his arms are everywhere. And like, he's all yeah, over the like place. The, the first time someone tries to hit the double end bag and it's just <laughs> bouncing back and forth. Yeah. Like it's just so, and you're right. Like how do you train for that guy? Cause you can't, cause he's so weirdly creative. Like you can't. And also, and you and I know this, um, sometimes when fighters have that creativity, their opponents will over-prepare for that. Like they'll over-prepare for the yeah. weirdness and they'll miss the jab or, you know, they'll miss just the straight hook coming at them because they're so concerned about the spinning elbows and the weird wheel kicks. And, you know, they start thinking about the, I got to look out for all the weird stuff. And then they miss the simple stuff. Um, that, that's a good call. Yeah. And, and, and it also, you know, for on Yuri's side, it's a little bit of a kamikaze style. You know, he's he's kind of a killer or die type guy, and, and like you said, with, against Pereira, boy, that's a that's a dangerous thing. That's a dangerous, dangerous game to play. It is, it is. But you know, but what? we also I haven't seen Alex at two hundred five either. Yeah, I mean, well, you saw him against Jan. He fought Blahovich. He had that one fight, but yeah, I mean, he didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, he didn't. Uh, you know, and, and he won. I thought he won the fight. It was a close fight, but I thought he won. Um, yeah, I just listen. I think Alex, what what Alex Pereira has done this early in his UFC career is, is pretty phenomenal to actually get to this point. But yeah, I just I have to lean Yuri just because. And again, I a lot of my picks when I pick a fight like this that's kind of a toss up. I always go back to who has more ways to win. And I think Yuri has more ways to win because Yuri has gone five rounds. Yuri has won fights on the ground. Yuri has won fights on the feet. Yuri, we've seen it. Now, does he take chances and take risks that could backfire? Absolutely. But I have a little bit more faith in what he's done at 205, whereas Alex has one fight at light heavyweight. Does he still have the same power? Can he still put people away the same way he did at middleweight? Does he have a ground game to deal with Yuri? I mean, Yuri tapped out Glover Teixeira on the ground. Glover Teixeira is yeah, one of the nastiest yeah. ground guys in the world, and he tapped out Glover Teixeira. So anything's possible, but I have to lean Yuri just because I think he has more ways to win this fight, um, and I think that that makes a difference in terms of like a, a, a fight that I'm having trouble picking. I always like to fall down on the side of who has more ways to win. I think Yuri has more ways to win. So I'm going to contradict you. I'll take Alex on this fight. And, you know, I'm very slight lean only because I, I'm generally all that wild stuff, I think, works up to a certain level. And I think that Alex is above that level. Now, if it hits the ground, you know, I mean, I think Yuri, uh, Yuri's going to have a pretty significant advantage. But we don't really know where Alex is on the, the ground yeah. at this point. But um, I forgot that he'd fought at 205 before. You're right. But when it go when it comes to – uh, high level kickboxing, striking, 
you know, I lean towards the fundamental guy that has better fundamentals. Yeah. So uh, we're mostly talking about UFC 295, but, you know, we're kind of a live thing happening here. Uh, big fight announcement just made, just broke as we're talking, so we might as well react to it. Dana White just announced the main event for UFC 297 on January 20th. In Toronto will be Sean Strickland putting his middleweight title on the line against Dracus Duplessis. He gets his title fight. Oh, nice. Yeah, so Dracus nice. is getting Good his title Drakus, shot. Good man. He yeah. earned it. You kind of feel bad for the guy after what happened with the whole, you know, the disaster with him not being able to fight Israel in September, and you kind of felt like, man, I think you're just going to punish this guy, and here comes Hamzat, and they're like, Hamzat gets the title shot, and then they end up going back to Drakus. So it's going to be Drakus Duplessis against Sean Strickland. That's a really interesting matchup, man. Like I said, Sean Strickland proved me so wrong beating Israel Adesanya that way, but man, the way Drakus beat Robert Whitaker, that was such a wake-up call. I've never seen – I mean – did Israel Israel beat Robert Whitaker in their first fight in similar fashion? But the way Drake has beat Robert Whitaker, I was like, "Holy crap, man! This is this dude's a monster." And the way Drake is just finds a fucking way, man. You know, this guy just he he doesn't look like the most phenomenal guy out there. He doesn't look like you know, the most fundamental, the most technical, the strongest, the fastest. Like he doesn't have that one thing that stands out, you know but he finds a goddamn way, man. So you got to give it to him. And yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Strickland, how he matches up with Strickland. I think that's going to be really, really interesting because I think Strickland definitely does well against the technical guys like Adesanya. It seems to be interesting to see how he does against, I mean, I'm sure we could go back and watch his fights, but to see him against someone not quite as conventional and and not as I don't know um, definitely not as technical. I'm not sure the term I'm looking for, but maybe you know a little bit more. Yeah, not not as easy to guess what they're about to do. You know. Yeah, that'll be interesting. And then on top of that, we got two more fights announced for uh, for February March. February we're getting Alexander Volkanovsky against Ilya Taporia. And then in oh, March, wow. we are getting Sugar Sean O'Malley against Cheeto Vera, the rematch. They are doing the rematch okay. after all um, in March. Um, I can so, take that. Yeah, so, obviously, Volkanovski and Taporia, we all kind of knew that was coming. I am curious to see how Alex comes back from the knockout. First time he's had that happen to UFC. Is there an emotional letdown? I don't know. He didn't do it last year when he lost a, when he lost a really close fight to – Islam and then came back and just beat the brakes off Yair Rodriguez. So I am curious. No, it's going to fire him up more. <laughs> yeah. And Ilya Tapori is a monster. But Matt, I got to be honest, man. Like, I like Cheeto Vera. I really do. But this is, this is like the pure promotional title fight. Like, the fact that O'Malley is getting Cheeto is this is 100% like the, 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 the Connor, the Connor show, right? Like this is the Connor McGregor. I'm a star. So I'm going to call my shot treatment. Like, let's be honest about this. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. But dude, I, I kind of hope Cheeto can get it done and not because I hate Sean O'Malley, but because I love Cheeto so much, man. And, uh, and he's definitely the type we've seen enough of his fights. We know this, this guy can fucking pull it out, man. And then he he's can. finally getting a title fight. Yeah, this 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 could be. I think it's going to be a better fight than I think. A lot of people are going to assume Sean O'Malley is going to kind of walk through him, uh, even though you know what happened in the first fight happened. 
you know, and, and we both agreed, I think when we talked about it before, like Sean O'Malley's probably made bigger, bigger improvements, at least from what we've seen, like Sean O'Malley's the star, Sean O'Malley's looking absolutely a phenomenal, but man, Cheeto, this guy's got, I think he's got a fire under his ass. I think he might be able to pull this out. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, like I said, this is, I mean, listen, when you get an opportunity like this, when everyone is telling you you don't deserve this, like, you know, right. no one no one is no one is sitting there saying, man, he really pulled, he really, he, he's on a one-fight win streak over a late notice of a replacement opponent. Like, it's not like he went out there and, you know, he tore through Marab and Aljamain and all this kind of stuff. Like, he's on a one-fight win streak. He's getting this because he have, has a win over Sean O'Malley. That's the reason he's getting this. So, make the most of it, like make the most of this opportunity. Because if you lose here, you're probably not going to get another one. Like maybe I'm not saying ever, but like, it's going to take a lot for you to get back there again, to get another title shot against anyone that's champion. You're getting this because you had the, the Willy Wonka golden ticket. You have the win over Sean O'Malley. So he's, you're getting the title shot and make the most of it. Do not waste this opportunity. I don't think he will. I'm just saying, like, I think that's the magnitude of this for Cheeto Vera. But Cheeto's a gamer, man. Like, he's never going to just fade away and go away for anybody. I mean, even the fights he's lost, it's not like he's gone out there and just absolutely gotten decimated. You know what I mean? Like, he stood with Corey Sandhagen, who I think is one of the best strikers in the, mm-hmm. the entire sport. And and he, he he did he lose? Yes, he lost the fight. But he still stood toe-to-toe with Corey Sandhagen, and I think he can do the same thing to Sean O'Malley. I won't be shocked if Cheetah pulls this off. That's it, right? You're not going to be shocked. I'm, boy, that kind of gets me fired up, man. I love Cheetah. I love watching him fight. Um, I, and the way Sean O'Malley's been looking these last few fights, you know, I was never a big uh, Sugar Sean guy. Like, I never thought he would get to the title. I thought he would get smashed by Al Jermaine. You know, I was never on that Sugar train, but – uh, he has proved me wrong time and time again. So I got to believe in what he's doing, but boy, I, 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 I kind of believe more in what Sean's doing, but I like watching Cheeto more, you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm stoked for that guy. I think yeah. he's such a great guy and uh, I'd, I'd love to see him go out there and get it done. Yeah. It's an interesting one. I mean, I think O'Malley's made a lot of improvements since then. And I, like I said, I would lean towards O'Malley right now in the moment, you know, like I just think he's done more and, and improved more than Cheeto has, but Cheeto's a gamer and you can never count him out. So it's a really interesting fight. And also, you know, I mean, listen, this is, this kind of reminds you of uh, when Bisping became champion, when Michael Bisping became champion and they didn't make him fight Robert Whitaker. They gave him Dan Henderson because he wanted to avenge the loss to Dan Henderson from UFC 100. And so they rebooked that fight and they, and it ended up being a pretty, it ended up being a really good scrap. Uh, it ended up being a really fun fight, but that's why it happened. And that's why this is happening. Like Marab Dwalishvili is getting screwed. Like there's no way around it. He should yeah, absolutely yeah. without a doubt be fighting for the title right now. Uh, as much as I like Cheeto and I do like Cheeto, uh, this comes at the expense of Marab Dwalishvili, and that sucks. Like he really, like, it it breaks my heart, man. He's done everything he could, and and uh, to me, it's a bummer that it seems like he's getting passed over because at one point he said, "I don't want to fight my friend." Yeah, and I, I guess he'll probably uh, he'll have to wait, which sucks. Sounds like, fight, sounds, like, sounds like he's gonna fight. Sounds like sounds like sounds like he's gonna fight Cejudo. Is the rumor he's gonna fight Cejudo? Ooh. So yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, if he wins that, then you know, it makes it even tougher to pass him up, right? Yeah. And we like 
I, I know I say it on the show all the time, Matt. Like, if you're an MMA fan, just strike the word deserves from your vocabulary. Like, should we yeah. just, like, should, like, does merit even matter anymore? <laughs> like, really? Like, I mean, listen, Drake is duplicity, earned it. But if they would have given Hamzat the shot, would we have been that surprised? Like, if Hamzat right. just got, you know what I mean? Like, does merit even matter anymore, really? Like, is it no, just it about name power? Like, yeah, I guess it's a combination nowadays, right? Like, you got to have. You know, if you want it, the faster that you, the, the more prominent you are, the faster your run, your your path is going to be. Right? It's not uh, one or the other. You know, yeah. but it, you, you, of course, you do. You know, it is the UFC still. Like you still have to go out there and win fights, right? Merit's still going to matter, just not as much if you're more prominent. Yeah, I mean, you can you can skip the line, like you know, Sean O'Malley beat. Yeah, Sean O'Malley beating Peter Jan was a big win, but that's his one win he had. Like, he didn't have, like, a long string of top 10 wins to get to Aljamain. He got the fight with Aljamain because he's Sean O'Malley. Like, did he win against Peter Jan to get it? Sure, but he made the fast ascension because he's a star. You know, like, Connor, yeah. Connor beating Dennis Seaver doesn't necessarily make you the number one contender, but he's Conor McGregor. So he gets, you know, whatever that is, you know what I mean? Like, that's like when yeah. you're, a, when you're a star, all bets are off. Like all bets are off on what you can ask for, what you can get, who your opponents are going to be. Like all that goes out the window when you actually draw that many eyeballs. Yeah. And like Tony Ferguson had like what, 12 in a row <laughs> <laughs> and got the interim title or something, I think. So yeah. Yeah. You, you just, it's a combination of the two, right? And you, you know, we understand what the UFC's model is and why they do what they do. Like, it's hard to hate on it. Um, but you know, I think me and you are on the same page. We like seeing those guys that deserve it get it, right? We that's what we want to see as hardcore fans. Like, we're not, we're way more interested in seeing a guy work his way up there. You know, he, the number one ranked guy. We like, we want, we would rather see Marab get the fight. Yeah, and I think that's, yeah. like, we get it, we understand it, um, and I think the only time it really irritates me is in a situation like this. Like, there is a clear-cut number one contender. Like, back in, listen, when George St. Pierre fought Nick Diaz back in the day, I loved that fight. Like, Nick Diaz, a legend, but Johnny Hendricks was on, like, a seven-fight win streak, and, you know, he was the number one contender, clearly the number one contender, and they gave it to Nick Diaz over him, and it's kind of the same thing here. Like, if Marab didn't exist, I would say, sure, give it to Cheeto, I don't care. But because right, Marab's right. out there, I'm kind of like, man, this sucks. Like, again, we argue for Dracus, same kind of thing. Now, he's getting it, but I think he's getting it because Hamzat's injured. Hamzat has a torn ligament in his hand, right, right, and they need right. a main event January 20th, or it would be Hamzat and Sean Strickland. Like, well, he's getting it, makes it. You know, and The hard part, too, is, you know, I mean, we feel bad from Rob for not getting the title shot, but but now he's got to go fight Henry Cejudo. It's not like he's he gets a tune-up fight or a <laughs> – keep warm fight, you know, keep them in there and keep the everything sharp to get ready for that title fight. And now you got to go fight one of the greatest combat sports league, combat sports athletes of all time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Here's your consolation prize. Go fight one of the greatest champions ever and an Olympic yeah. gold medalist. Yeah, yeah. And look, if he loses that fight, you know, that changes the trajectory of his life, you know? So, yeah. You know, it's it's certainly not too cool, but um, it is what it is, man. This is the world we live in right now. The U the UFC is kind of like just beat us down, where we're just kind of like, yeah, I kind of expected this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
That's exactly it. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back next week to uh, to break down everything that happened at UFC 295 in a matter of days. Obviously, there goes there there are fights beyond the two title fights, but of course, that's what we want to focus on today. Uh, so we'll get back into that next week and kind of break down everything that happened at UFC 295 and our thoughts on the fights. I assume you'll be watching this weekend, Max. I know I will be. Uh, I should be watching. Yeah, yep, I should be. I have a seminar Saturday, so I imagine I'll probably stay there. It's in Kentucky. I'll probably stay the night and watch the fights with the guys down there, have some good times. I teach some guys some martial arts techniques. That's what I do. So if anybody listening ever wants a seminar, you know, you know who to hit up. There you go. I love it. And anywhere else, anyone that wants to check out, of course, to to, uh, to support you and the people who support you, Matt, where can they find well, it? Well, if they want a seminar or want to learn about martial arts or what I got going on, I am the immortal on Twitter and Instagram. Or if you want to get jacked at the immortal coffee. There you go. I love it. Uh, we will be back next week, as I said, talking about UFC 295, the fallout from that card. See if uh, Matt or I, we, we split on, we, we agreed on Sergey, but we uh, we split on the on the actual main event between Yuri and Alex. So we'll see who has bragging rights uh, next week on the show. Uh, we appreciate everyone that tunes in each and every week to the show. Make sure you check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, over on the best website in the world, MMAfighting.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to another edition of The Fighter vs. The Writer. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Property Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.